0: chapter five part three of the nigger of the narcissus this librivox recording is in the public domain the nigger of the narcissus by joseph conrad chapter five part three a week afterwards the narcissus entered the chops of the channel under white wings she skimmed low over the blue sea like a great tired bird speeding to its nest the clouds raced with her mastheads they rose astern enormous and white soared to the zenith flew past and falling down the wide curve of the sky seemed to dash headlong into the sea the clouds swifter than the ship more free but without a home the coast to welcome her stepped out of space into the sunshine the lofty headlands trod masterfully into the sea the white bay smiled in the light The shadows of homeless clouds ran along the sunny plains, leaped over valleys, without a check darted up the hills, rolled down the slopes, and the sunshine pursued them with patches of running brightness. On the brows of dark cliffs white lighthouses shone in pillars of light. The channel glittered like a blue mantle shot with gold and starred by the silver of the capping seas the narcissus rushed past the headlands and the bays outward bound vessels crossed her track lying over and with her masts stripped for a slogging fight with a hard sou'wester and inshore a string of smoking steamboats waddled hugging the coast like migrating and amphibious monsters distrustful of the restless waves at night the headlands retreated the bays advanced into one unbroken line of gloom the lights of the earth mingled with the lights of heaven and above the tossing lanterns of a trawling fleet a great lighthouse shone steadily like an enormous riding light burning above a vessel of fabulous dimensions below its steady glow the coast stretching away straight and black resembled the high side of an indestructible craft riding motionless upon the immortal and unresting sea the dark land lay alone in the midst of waters like a mighty ship bestarred with vigilant lights of a ship carrying the burden of millions of lives a ship freighted with dross and with jewels with gold and with steel she towered up immense and strong guarding priceless traditions and untold suffering sheltering glorious memories and base forgetfulness ignoble virtues and splendid transgressions a great ship for ages had the ocean battered in vain her enduring sides she was there when the world was vaster and darker when the sea was great and mysterious and ready to surrender the prize of fame to audacious men a ship mother of fleets and nations the great flagship of the race stronger than the storms and anchored in the open sea the Narcissus heeling over to offshore gusts rounded the south foreland passed through the downs and in tow entered the river shorn of the glory of her white wings she wound obediently after the tug through the maze of invisible channels as she passed them the red-painted light vessels swung at their moorings seemed for an instant to sail with great speed in the rush of tide and the next moment were left hopelessly behind the great buoys on the tails of banks slipped past her sides very low and dropping in her wake tugged at their chains like fierce watchdogs the reach narrowed from both sides the land approached the ship she went steadily up the river on the riverside slopes the houses appeared in groups seemed to stream down the declivities at a run to see her pass and checked by the mud of the foreshore crowded on the banks further on the tall factory chimneys appeared in insolent bands and watched her go by like a straggling crowd of slim giants swaggering and upright under the black plumes of smoke cavalierly aslant she swept round the bends, and impure breeze shrieked a welcome between her stripped spars and the land closing in. Stepped between the ship and the sea, a low cloud hung before her, a great opalescent and tremulous cloud that seemed to rise from the steaming brows of millions of men. Long drifts of smoky vapors soiled it with vivid trails. It throbbed to the beat of millions of hearts, and from it came an immense and lamentable murmur. The murmur of millions of lips praying, cursing, sighing, jeering. The undying murmur of folly, regret, and hope exhaled by the crowds of the anxious earth. The Narcissus entered the cloud, the shadows deepened, on all sides there was the clang of iron, the sound of mighty blows, shrieks, yells black barges drifted stealthily on the murky stream a mad jumble of begrimed walls loomed up vaguely in the smoke bewildering and mournful like a vision of disaster the tugs backed and filled in the stream to hold the ship steady at the dock gates from her bows two lines went through the air whistling and struck at the land viciously like a pair of snakes a bridge broken two before her as if by enchantment big hydraulic capstans began to turn all by themselves as though animated by a mysterious and unholy spell she moved through a narrow lane of water between two low walls of granite and men with check ropes in their hands kept pace with her walking on the broad flagstones a group waited impatiently on each side of the vanished bridge rough heavy men in caps sallow-faced men in high hats two bareheaded women ragged children fascinated and with wide eyes a cart coming at a jerky trot pulled up sharply one of the women screamed at the silent ship Hello, jack without looking at anyone in particular and all hands looked at her from the forecastle head stand clear stand clear of that rope cried the dockmen bending over stone posts the crowd murmured stamped where they stood let go your quarter-checks let go sang out a ruddy-faced old man on the quay the ropes splashed heavily falling in the water and the narcissus entered the dock the stony shores ran away right and left in straight lines enclosing a sombre and rectangular pool brick walls rose high above the water soulless walls staring through hundreds of windows as troubled and dull as the eyes of overfed brutes at their base monstrous iron cranes crouched, with chains hanging from their long necks, balancing cruel-looking hooks over the decks of lifeless ships. A noise of wheels rolling over stones, the thump of heavy things falling, the racket of feverish winches, the grinding of strained chains floated on the air between high buildings the dust of all the continents soared in short flights and a penetrating smell of perfumes and dirt of spices and hides of things costly and of things filthy pervaded the space made for it an atmosphere precious and disgusting the narcissus came gently into her berth the shadows of soulless walls fell upon her the dust of all the continents leaped upon her deck and a swarm of strange men clambering up her sides took possession of her in the name of the sordid earth she had ceased to live a toff in a black coat and high hat scrambled with agility came up to the second mate shook hands and said hello herbert it was his brother a lady appeared suddenly a real lady in a black dress and with a parasol she looked extremely elegant in the midst of us and as strange as if she had fallen there from the sky mr baker touched his cap to her it was the master's wife and very soon the captain dressed very smartly and in a white shirt went with her over the side we didn't recognize him at all till turning up the quay, he called to mr baker don't forget to wind up the chronometers to-morrow morning an underhand lot of seedy-looking chaps with shifty eyes wandered in and out of the forecastle, looking for a job they said more likely for something to steal commented knowles cheerfully poor beggars who cared weren't we home but mr baker went for one of them who had given him some cheek and we were delighted everything was delightful i finished aft sir called out mr Crichton. no water in the well sir reported for the last time the carpenter sounding rod in hand mr baker glanced along the decks at the expectant group of sailors glanced aloft at the yards och that will do men he grunted the crowd broke up the voyage was ended rolled-up beds went flying over the rail lash chests went sliding down the gangway mighty few of both at that the rest is having a cruise off the cape explained knowles enigmatically to a dock loafer with whom he had struck a sudden friendship men ran calling to one another hailing utter strangers to lend a hand with the dunnage then with sudden decorum approached the mate to shake hands before going ashore good-bye sir they repeated in various tones mr baker grasped hard palms grunted in a friendly manner at every one his eyes twinkled take care of your money knowles och soon get a nice wife if you do the lame man was delighted good-bye sir said belfast with emotion wringing the maid's hand and looked up with swimming eyes i thought i would take him ashore with me he went on plaintively mr baker did not understand but said kindly take care of yourself Craig and the bereaved belfast went over the rail morning and alone mr baker in the sudden peace of the ship moved about solitary and grunting trying door handles peering into dark places never done a model chief mate no one waited for him ashore mother dead father and two brothers yarmouth fishermen drawn together on the dogger bank sister married and unfriendly quite a lady married to the leading tailor of the little town and its leading politician who did not think his sailor brother-in-law quite respectable enough for him quite a lady quite a lady he thought sitting down for a moment's rest on the quarter-deck time enough to go ashore and get a bite and sup and a bed somewhere he didn't like to part with the ship no one to think about then the darkness of a misty evening fell cold and damp upon the deserted deck and mr baker sat smoking thinking of all the successive ships to whom through many a long years he had given the best of a seaman's care and never a command in sight not once i haven't somehow the cut of a skipper about me he meditated placidly while the shipkeeper who had taken possession of the galley a wizened old man with bleared eyes cursed him in whispers for hanging about so now crichton he pursued the unenvious en- train of thought quite a gentleman swell friends we'll get on fine young fellow a little more experience he got up and shook himself i'll be back first thing tomorrow morning for the hatches don't you let them touch anything before i come shipkeeper he called out then at last he went ashore a model chief mate the men scattered by the dissolving contact of land came together once more in the shipping office the narcissus pays off shouted outside a glazed door a brass-bound old fellow with a crown and the capitals b t on his cap a lot trooped in at once but many were late the room was large whitewashed and bare a counter surmounted by a brass wire grating fenced off a third of the dusty space and behind the grating a pasty-faced clerk with his hair parted in the middle had the quick glittering eyes and the vivacious jerky movements of a caged bird poor captain alliston also in there and sitting before a little table with piles of gold and notes on it appeared subdued by his captivity another board of trade bird was perching on a high stool near the door an old bird that did not mind the chaff of elated sailors the crew of the narcissus broken up into knots pushed in the corners they had new shore togs smart jackets that looked as if they had been shaped with an axe glossy trousers that seemed made of crumpled sheet-iron collarless flannel shirts shiny new boots they tapped on shoulders buttonholed one another asked where did you sleep last night whispered gaily slapped their thighs with bursts of subdued laughter most had clean radiant faces only one or two turned up disheveled and sad the two young norwegians looked tidy meek and altogether of a promising material for the kind ladies who patronized the scandinavian home lamibo still in his working clothes dreamed upright and burly in the middle of the room and when archie came in woke up for a smile but the wide-awake clerk called out a name and the paying off business began one by one they came up to the pay-table to get the wages of their glorious and obscure toil they swept the money with care into broad palms rammed it trustfully into trousers pockets or turning their backs on the table reckoned with difficulty in the hollow of their stiff hands money right sign the release there there repeated the clerk impatiently how stupid those sailors are he thought singleton came up venerable and uncertain as to daylight brown drops of tobacco-juice hung in his white beard his hands that never hesitated in the great light of the open sea could hardly find the small pile of gold in the profound darkness of the shore "Can't write asked the clerk shocked make a mark then singleton painfully sketched in a heavy cross blotted the page what a disgusting old brute muttered the clerk somebody opened the door for him and the patriarchal seaman passed through unsteadily without as much as a glance at any of us archie displayed a pocket book. he was chafed belfast who looked wild as though he had already left up through a public-house or two gave signs of emotion and wanted to speak to the captain privately the master was surprised They spoke through the wires, and we could hear the captain saying, I've given it up to the board of trade. I should have liked to get something of his, mumbled Belfast, but you can't, my man. It's given up, locked, and sealed to the marine office, expostulated the master, and Belfast stood back with drooping mouth and troubled eyes. In the pause of the business, we heard the master and the clerk talking. We caught James Waite. Deceased, found no papers of any kind, no relations, no trace. The office must hold his wages then. Duncan entered. He seemed out of breath, was grave, full of business. He went straight to the desk, talked with animation to the clerk, who thought him an intelligent man. They discussed the account, dropping h's against one another as if for a wager, very friendly. Captain Alliston paid i give you a bad discharge he said quietly donkin raised his voice i don't want your bloomin discharge keep it i'm goin to have a job ashore he turned to us no more bloomin sea for me he said aloud all looked at him he had better clothes had an easy air appeared more at home than any of us he stared with assurance enjoying the effect of his declaration Yas, I have friends well off. That's more'n you got. But I am a man. Your shipmates for all that. Who's comin' for a drink? No one moved. There was a silence—a silence of blank faces and stony looks. He waited a moment, smiled bitterly, and went to the door. There he faced round once more. You won't? You bloomin' lot of hypocrites! No. What have I done to yer? did i bully yer did i hurt yer did i you won't drink no then may ye die of thirst every mother's son of yer not one of yer as the spirit of a bug ye are the scum of the world work and starve he went out and slammed the door with such violence that the old board of trade bird nearly fell off his perch he's mad declared archie no no he's drunk insisted belfast lurching about and in a maudlin tone captain alliston sat smiling thoughtfully at the cleared pay-table outside on tower hill they blinked hesitated clumsily as if blinded by the strange quality of the hazy light as if discomposed by the view of so many men and they who could hear one another in the howl of gales seemed deafened and distracted by the dull roar of the busy earth to the black horse to the black horse cried some let us have a drink together before we part they crossed the road clinging to one another only Charlie and belfast wandered off alone as i came up i saw a red-faced blousy woman in a grey shawl and with dusty, fluffy hair fall on Charlie's neck. It was his mother. She slobbered over him. Oh, my boy, my boy. Leggo, me, said Charlie. Leggo, mother. I was passing him at the time, and over the untidy head of the blubbering woman he gave me a humorous smile and a glance ironic, courageous, and profound that seemed to put all my knowledge of life to shame. I nodded and passed on, but heard him say again, good-naturedly, If you let go of me this minute, ye shall have a bob for a drink out of my pay. In the next few steps I came upon Belfast. He caught my arm with tremulous enthusiasm. I couldn't go with him, he stammered, indicating by a knob our noisy crowd that drifted slowly along the other sidewalk. When I think of Jimmy poor Jim. When I think of him I have no heart for drink. You were his chum, too. But I pulled him out, didn't I? Short wool, he had. Yes, and I stole the blooming pie. He wouldn't go. He wouldn't go for nobody. He burst into tears. I never touched him. Never, never, he sobbed. He went for me like a lamb. I disengaged myself gently. Belfast's crying fits generally ended in a fight with someone, and I wasn't anxious to stand the brunt of his inconsolable sorrow. Moreover, two bulky policemen stood nearby, looking at us with a disapproving and incorruptible gaze. "'So long,' I said, and went on my way. But at the corner I stopped to take my last look at the crew of the Narcissus they were swaying irresolute and noisy on the broad flagstones before the mint they were bound for the black horse where men in fur caps with brutal faces and in shirt sleeves disperse out of varnished barrels the illusions of strength mirth happiness the illusion of splendour and poetry of life to the paid-off crew of southern-going ships from afar i saw them discoursing with jovial eyes and clumsy gestures while the sea of life thundered into their ears ceaseless and unheeded and swaying about there on the white stones surrounded by the hurry and clamour of men they appeared to be creatures of another kind lost alone forgetful and doomed they were like castaways like reckless and joyous castaways like mad castaways making merry in the storm and upon an insecure ledge of a treacherous rock the roar of the town resembled the roar of topping breakers merciless and strong with a loud voice and cruel purpose but overhead the clouds broke a flood of sunshine streamed down the walls of grimy houses the dark knot of seamen drifted in sunshine. To the left of them the trees and tower garden side, the stones of the tower gleaming, seemed to stir in the play of light, as if remembering suddenly all those great joys and sorrows of the past, the fighting prototypes of these men, press-gangs, mutinous cries, the wailing of women by the riverside, and the shouts of men welcoming victories. The sunshine of heaven fell like a gift of grace on the mud of the earth, on the remembering and mute stones, on greed, selfishness, on the anxious faces of the forgetful men. And to the right of the dark group, the stained front of the mint, cleansed by the flood of light, stood out for a moment dazzling and white like a marble palace in a fairy tale. The crew of the Narcissus drifted out of sight. I never saw them again the sea took some the steamers took others the graveyards of the earth will account for the rest singleton has no doubt taken with him the long record of his faithful work into the peaceful depths of a hospitable sea and donkin who never did a decent day's work in his life no doubt earns his living by discoursing with filthy eloquence upon the right of labour to live so be it let the earth and the sea each have its own a gone shipmate like any other man is gone for ever and i never met one of them again but at times the spring flood of memory sets with the force up the dark river of the nine bends then on the waters of the forlorn stream drifts a ship a shadowy ship manned by a crew of shades they pass and make a sign and a shadowy hail haven't we together and upon the immortal sea RUNG OUT A MEANING FROM OUR SINFUL LIVES? GOOD-BYE, BROTHERS, YOU WERE A GOOD CROWD. AS GOOD A CROWD AS EVER FISTED, WITH WILD CRIES, THE BEATING CANVAS OF A HEAVY FORESAIL, OR, TOSSING ALOFT, INVISIBLE IN THE NIGHT, GAVE BACK YELL FOR YELL TO A WESTERLY GALE. THE END END OF CHAPTER FIVE END OF THE NIGGER THE NARCISSUS The Nigger of the Narcissus was recorded by Tom Crawford in cool California, USA, and proof listened by Sheila Mitchell in Nottinghamshire, England, in spring and summer of 2010.